Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. It's Candace and Kayla, and we are directionally challenged. Yep, we thought we'd have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s. And we don't, and that's okay. It really is okay, especially today, because we are sitting down with Jamie Lynn Sigler. She is, um, I'm sure you guys know her. She's an actress and a mama and a podcaster. And most importantly, she's an MS activist and has decided to sit down with us and share her story. You guys probably most notably know her from playing Meadow Soprano on The Sopranos. Amazing show. And yeah, she's going to sit down with us and talk to us about her diagnosis of MS that uh, she was diagnosed when she was 20 years old. And for those of you that don't know what MS is, it is multiple sclerosis. It's a disease that affects the central nervous system, which it can disrupt signals between the brain and the body. So common symptoms are fatigue, numbness, weakness, stiffness, visual problems. There are a lot of symptoms. No 
MS diagnosis looks the same for everybody, I think is what we've learned from sitting down with Jamie today. She was also diagnosed with Lyme's disease, which also has a lot of similar symptoms as MS, which she will also discuss a little bit about today as well. And she's had these illnesses, these chronic illnesses, since she was, again, 20 years old. She is such a powerful, inspiring woman. Without further ado, here is our interview with Jamie Lynn Sigler. And now he's like our older one, seven, uh, six and a half. So he's just got like sports and this and that. Mm. And just the other week I texted my husband and I was like, hey, I don't like taking him to hockey. So you're going to have to figure this out. Cause I do every other baseball, everything, mm-hmm. karate, whatever, all week. I'm like the hockey thing, like the driving really far, it's freezing, getting him in the equipment. It's like, so cold that's, in the hockey That's race. like the, so cold. I'm like, that's the one, like I want to like tap out. Uh-huh. I yep. still have, like, cause our child's at home is still young. And like, I also have a life and like a lot of things to do. And I just like, that's like a four hour commitment on an afternoon <laughs> that I just don't want to do anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. I feel like we're already in it. I like know. I know. That's what mama said. There'd be days like that. That's it. That's where it came from. <laughs> Guys, we've got Jamie Lynn Siegler here <laughs> and we're just talking about mommyhood and trying to feel like ourselves again after mommyhood. Don't you, don't you feel like it's hard once you become a mom, you're like, you don't want it to be all you talk about, but it kind of just becomes most of what you talk about. Well, because a lot of it too is like learning your, the new version of you as a mom yes. or the stage I'm in right now. So yes, a lot of what I talk about is is her. And and I'm, I've also found that my husband and I sit down and we are like, okay, we're going to not talk about her. We went on a date night this weekend and we're like, we're going to not talk about Poppy. And all we did was talk about Poppy. It was uh, like, it was kind of crazy because it's new. Oh. It's this new adventure in our life, yes, you know? Yes. So I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing. It's just it's what a, it's it is. It's an inevitable thing. The very first episode we did of Mama Said was titled, Who Am I Now That I'm a Mom? Because it truly is like you're just, your identity stripped away and you're like, it's like before kids and after. Like you're just, you're just a new human. Mm. And you're you're learning who you are as that. definitely. And I think you also start to realize, oh my God, my parents did this. (sighs) Like they did that. Yes. So speaking of parents, (laughs) Jamie, where did you grow up? Oh, I love this. Uh, I grew up on Long Island in New York. Um, I I grew up with two older brothers. Um, my mom is from Cuba. My dad is Greek, Romanian, Brooklyn Jew. So very two different, um, family backgrounds. Um, but so I was first born in Queens, I should say, and then raised on Long Island. I feel like you just ate delicious food as a child then. Is that a ridiculous assumption to (laughs) make? You know what? Because I love Cuban food. I like Greek food. I definitely had good Cuban food. Didn't get enough Greek food. It was more like the Jewish, just like a lot of bagels, a lot of cream cheese, a lot of lox. And um, that sounds great to me. Yeah, no, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't like as flavorful maybe as we would imagine it to be. Did your mom grow up in Cuba? Is she first generation American? Uh, Yeah. So she grew up in Cuba. um, And then in 61, there was um, something called Project Peter Pan, where they um, smuggled a bunch of kids out. And um, it, it, after Castro came to power, so my mother's father worked for Batista, who was the president before Castro, and he was immediately put in jail and it was war torn in the country. And, you know, people were desperate and they didn't know what to do. And my mother said, she remembers she was 12 years old, woken up in the middle of the night with her bags packed. And my grandmother just put her on a plane and said, you just have to trust me. And all kids went to different areas of the country. My mom ended up in New Jersey at a boarding school, a Catholic school. 
in um, almost about a year later, my grandmother was able to make it over. It's an, wow. it's actually still such a painful story for her. I keep trying to get the full story. And I literally in my 38 years, I've gotten like bits and pieces to put together, but she had to start completely over. And, you know, her and my grandmother moved to like a tiny apartment in Washington Heights in New York and, you know, figured out life. And I'm so proud of them. And my grandmother's 98, still lives in Manhattan all by herself, which is the best. We call her Mima, (laughs) Amelia Lopez. Um, And yeah, it's just, it's a big part of who I am. Like my mom and my grandmother were the people that like took me to all my auditions and did everything. So like, it was like the three of us. And so it's very much a part of who I am is them. Did you always want to be an actor or were they kind of the, did they push you into it or they were like not stage mom or grandma? No, there was no show business around me at all. Like my older brothers played sports and um, I like, you know, was in dance class like every other little girl, but I just, I really, my mom could tell I really liked like the recital part, like the being on stage and performing. And then got into like musical theater classes and it was just something they could see I really enjoyed. And then I started doing like community theater on Long Island when I was like nine or 10 and it was everything to me. Like, and I just did it nonstop. And up until Sopranos when I was 16. You were 16. Mm -hmm. Wow. So this was, was this your big first job like on a set or had you done okay I did like a maybe like one day on an indie film or anything but it was really truly like my first thing to set to the point where when I when I showed up and there was a stand-in I got nervous that I actually didn't have the part yet because I was (gasps) like wait why is somebody else rehearsing this and she looks like me and she's like the same height like it was everything was new everything and Robert Eiler played my little brother he was 12, but he was like an old pro had done tons of commercials and movies and this. So he was like instructing, I was like, what's check the gate? Like, what does this mean? I mean, this is all also when it was film, when it was like, Oh, you don't want a bad gate, things like that. Like I just, everything was brand new and everything was scary. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little older, but I remember like my first few weeks of being on vampire diaries and someone was like, Hey, just make sure to you're the, to the right of the map box when you exit. And I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm looking on the floor and I don't see any boxes oh. and I don't like, is there a map to the box? I don't. <laughs> and for anyone listening that doesn't know what it is, it's basically like the blinders of a camera. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I, it's a very uncomfortable thing to be on a set and be like, I don't know where I'm going. Right. But you don't want to ask the question. Yeah. That would be a In huge any transition. other job you go to school and learn the terms and Mm -hmm. learn what's required of you. Mm -hmm. This is a job where you are literally thrown into the middle of a circus and expected to fend for yourself. And you don't really want to ask questions. You want people to think that you are qualified for your job. Right. But it's just a crazy, I don't know any other job where you just kind of are thrown to figure it out. You're and not necessarily given an opportunity to ask a bunch of questions and you just figure it out. And we were all somewhat younger and able to be on set. So we had a little bit of leeway of being able to ask a few questions. But even still, I remember being so terrified and not wanting to ask any questions and just trying to figure it out myself. Yeah, especially in TV. I feel like it's like moving so fast that it's almost like you're not, people don't even think to like stop and explain anything to you. And you never want to, you think you're going to get in trouble if you're the one that like asks for help yeah. or asks for questions. I can see us all like good little quiet girls on set. Like <laughs> yes. trying to we definitely rules. feel like the same yeah. type. <laughs> just fake it till you make it. So at what point did you realize Sopranos was a cultural phenomenon? Um, Because you were, again, very young. Your parents are not 
from the industry no. at all. So were they just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like kind of, it was like a slow build. Um, because also too, there were, there weren't many things filming in New York at the time. Um, this is also like pre-social media, even like pre like paparazzi stuff. Like it was just, it was just quieter. We filmed in like silver cup studios. And if anyone knows it's a studio in Queens in New York, that's like not glamorous. It's like a really bad area. Like it's just like, it just, it felt special because of what we were doing and you knew the people that you were working with. But other than that, I think until we went to the Emmys the first year and like people kind of like recognize us or knew us, or even that we were at the awards, it felt kind of special. But for me personally, um, I went to the second season of filming the show, I started college. I went to NYU. I was a psychology major. I was afraid to, I had never taken like professional acting class. I was afraid to major in theater or anything and like be told everything I was doing wrong and then go to work. Mm. It just felt like it might screw me up. In hindsight, I should have done that because it would have been a program that would have supported my job because I ended up having to leave school because they couldn't work around my filming schedule, obviously. Um, but I remember moving into the dorm and like walking around my floor to introduce myself. And I walked into literally my neighbor's room, this guy, and he had posters of Sopranos all over his wall. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> this is real. This is weird. And he was like looking at me like, what? You you live there? And I'm like, yeah. And you're this like, oh, and you live there. You live so right here. Okay, okay, okay. okay. yeah, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so maybe it did work out that I had to defer. But I think it was this. It was like I said, it was a slow build. And even to this day, I mean, you know, when you when when you work, it's personal. Like it's your personal memories. It's your life. So Sopranos, I have an appreciation and an understanding of what it's meant to other people. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard for me to like sit back and be like, I was a part of something great because it's really more of like my personal memories of what was so great mm-hmm. and the people that I got to meet and, and work with. Yeah. You be, it becomes a family. Yeah. I always called it the traveling circus that doesn't travel anywhere. It just like stays put and it's, there's always something wild going on and it doesn't feel like real life, but it is. And yes. And it, you also, I, and I grew up in theater. So I remember like every show I ever did, I, I would do summer stock and tours and I got to do Broadway in between seasons of Sopranos. And it just like, you feel like these are going to be my friends forever. And you mean it when you're there and you love them so much. But a lot of the times, you know, then you move on to your next job. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So Mm -hmm. it's, it's funny how that happens, but I guess in a way we have to be that way as actors, right? Because we have to be in the moment and, and live off chemistry and in the people that were around in that moment. And so it has to be that intense and special. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like there were, uh, was a lot of change going on at once. You essentially, especially being 16 high Mm -hmm. school, you get this big job, which changes then like the next, however many years of your life, which went on to be 10 years, Mm -hmm. you go to college, you're doing theater in between seasons of the show and how old were you when you were diagnosed with MS then sure. at this point? So, because you were I, young. Yes. So I was diagnosed with Lyme's disease first when okay. I was 19. And then I was re diagnosed with MS when I was 20. And actually, just the other day, I was looking at talking to my husband and I looked at him and I was like, you know what's crazy is like if I look back to my 20s, people can look at it and be like, you are on Sopranos. That must have been like the best time of your life. And like, in many ways it was, but also I had like a lot of crazy life stuff happen to me in my twenties, which is that time when you're supposed to be carefree and make mistakes. And I was diagnosed with two major diseases. I got married and divorced, like, and I really didn't have anyone guiding me through it. 
you know, and it was a really, really as beautiful and wonderful as that time was to be on the show. It was like a really, really hard time in my life because I think I, from my history and growing up, like was always just kind of like pick up and go. And I just kept doing that through all of the muck and the shit that I was going through. And it really didn't hit me everything that I went through until my thirties. Like, and now is like when I'm taking, doing the therapy and like dealing with everything that I went through then, because I was kind of just in survival mode. Because you get diagnosed and then you choose to keep it a secret, right? Yeah. Well, so I wasn't very symptomatic when I was diagnosed and I, the first person that I went to, because we were, it was like right before I was starting a new seasons of the show. And, you know, you have to go to like the, the doctor mm-hmm. for your what checkup mm-hmm. to say you're okay for this season. And, um, that's when you found out just before that. And I remember I said, Hey, so I just got that. And I didn't even really know much about MS because the doctor that diagnosed me fortunately said to me, you have MS, but there's no reason to think that you can't live a very long, healthy life and you can always act like you, this can still be your job. So I was like kind of positive about it at the time. And I was like, oh, I just got diagnosed with something called MS. And he was like, I'm going to pretend you didn't tell me that. Mm. And I was like, okay. And he's like, do not tell anybody that. Don't there, you don't want people to limit you. You don't want people to, you know, have their idea of what this disease is. Like, just go do your job. Don't tell anyone that. And he was looking out for me. And Did I that also, scare you? A little. And also too, you know, it's funny. I learned this in therapy recently. My mom brought me up. I almost am afraid to say this, but like to lie all the time in the sense that like everything's perfect. Everything's fine. Yeah. Don't tell them anything's wrong. And I've learned that that's actually like a mentality of people from socialist countries. Um, it's a survival thing. It's just like, like people from Russia, like Cuba, like this is what they're told. It's just a lie, lie, lie to survive. Mm -hmm. So I was brought up that way and I always felt uncomfortable, but like, I didn't know any different. And so I was kind of like perpetuating, keeping that like story going. And for a while, I guess it worked for me and it was fine. And then when I was 24, I started to become symptomatic. That's when I was going through a divorce, very stressful time. Things started happening, started losing control of certain bodily functions, um, started to, um, like when I would wear high heels, it would, I remember I was on the red carpet for the Emmys once. And it was the first time where all of a sudden I literally felt like I was going to fall. And I grabbed onto Famke Johnson. Is that how you say her name? Do you know the actress know. from the matrix? I know who you're talking know, about. Yeah. And she looked at me like, bitch, like I get off me. And I was like, so mortified because I literally was about to fall. Like I just grabbed the first person I felt like arm. And it was like one of those moments where I was like, oh shit this is something real that I'm going to have to deal with now. Did you know that that's what it was or did you, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause things started, like I said, happening. And then that's when I, so so things started to kind of unravel and I wasn't somebody because of this like survival mentality. Like I didn't as, as friendly and kind and like bubbly as I was, I didn't open up very easily And I remember James Gandolfini pulled me aside one day at work and was like, what's up with you? And I just started bawling and he like took me to a corner. He's like, what is going on? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, clearly something's happening. What's wrong? And that's when I, he was the first person I told. And did he have a way with people where he could just zero in on you? Yes. And And it's, and also to be, I think you knew it like really meant something when he did it. He was so present when he would speak to you. And 
I mean, look, he was carrying that whole show on his shoulders and it was no easy feat. And he still would like make time to care, you know, and And notice and notice. And, um, at that same time, Edie, uh, was, um, battling breast cancer and opened up to me to tell me about that. And then that was my chance to tell her. So then she was the second person that knew. And then I remember telling Aida Totoro, who played Janice, um, because she was very close to me. I think it's like once I told Jim and Edie, then I was like, I want to tell Aida because I was already so close with her. And then I told Robert, even though he was young, because he was, you know, we were so close. And then that was it. I remember saying, Jim was like, do you want to tell David or any of the other people? And I was like, no, I, I, cause I just was so afraid to lose my job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's all you're ever told is like, you can lose your job tomorrow Mm -hmm. very quickly. Mm -hmm. And especially I would imagine at 20 years old being told by some doctor who's trying to clear you for work, like don't tell anybody or you will not be cleared for work. Yes. Like that that would be ringing in your head. Oh, completely. And I was going through divorce. So like my, my self-esteem and my self-worth was just in the toilet. And I just, it was just a dark, sad time. And it was, it was, it was difficult, but like I said, I, I, I wasn't, I was dealing with it the best I knew how, which was just to kind of keep going. How much did you know about the disease at the time? Mm. And also Lyme's, Lyme disease, because was that still a factor or was that, that's where I, I and forgive me, I get a little confused. I, I grew up with someone who had Lyme disease, so I knew and learned as much as I could about it working with different organizations but then I realized every time I thought I figured it out, I actually knew you nothing. Don't. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's been a back and forth for me. Like, is it limes? Is it MS? Is it both? Yeah. Did the limes wake up a dormant MS gene? Like all the things have been thrown at me. I've gone down all the roads to try and figure them all out, especially in the 16 years that I, or 15 years I kept it a secret. If there was anyone that was like, this will cure you or this will cure you. I did it. Mm. I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars. I traveled all over the world, mostly by myself because I just was so desperate to like rid myself of this secret, this dark secret. And the terrible thing about that time as well was because when you live with a secret for that long, I started feeling like shameful about it and Mm. guilty about it. Like I did something wrong to deserve it, or I was embarrassed that I had it. And Obviously, as time went by and the disease started to manifest slowly, I did start to tell friends and stuff because I I needed help sometimes, Um, which was wonderful. But at the same time, um, they like my friends would always tell me, like, why don't you just tell everyone? Mm -hmm. Why don't you just tell people? Because we still love you. And it was just so hard for me because I realized later, like I didn't love myself because of it. And that's why I'm saying like now it's like I'm dealing with the repercussions and all of that. Um, But not to fast forward too much, but I do feel now that I've kind of transitioned into like almost being grateful Mm -hmm. for my MS because who I am today and how I live my life, um, I'm proud of. And I don't know if I would have gone down this road or been this person without it. So what made you want to come out and say, I have it? Well, like I said, I had a lot of people around me encouraging me to feeling I had, I did a year of the sitcom called guys with kids. And it was my first full series since Sopranos. Um, 
And it was the first time people started being like, what's up with your walking? Are you limping? What's going on? And it was every day, every week. I went home from that job every night crying. It was just, and you know, I did have a back issue. I had a herniated disc, so I kept blaming it on that. And people just weren't letting it go. Which like, also does not feel good, by the way. Anyone I've seen with a herniated oh, disc is that's terrible. not an easy it's, like, no, it's not. But people are just being like, why isn't it better? Here, you should go to this person or this person. And it just, ugh, it was the worst. And when you say people were saying that, was it like studio executives? And, everyone. Got it. Okay. Everyone. So the and, higher ups. Yes. And in a way, I could have looked at it like an opportunity for me to be like, I need help. Here's what's going on. Because everyone was lovely. They were meaning well, but because I was coming from a place of keeping it a secret, it felt like an attack. Mm -hmm. And also as a woman, it's still scary to say that you're pregnant at, at a job and be fearful of like what's going to happen. Well, after I got pregnant at the, at the, towards the last few months of filming that show. And that was like a relief for me. Cause I was like, ugh, now they'll just like, now I can have a pregnancy waddle and nobody <laughs> will fucking give me mm -hmm. shit about my MS waddle or whatever it is. But it is still sort of like a mask for what was actually happening. hundred percent. So you go and so you're I did experiencing that. Yeah. So we finished that season. We didn't get picked up for a second, but now I'm pregnant with my son and I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm done with acting. I'm just going to be a mom. You know, I'm, I don't have to tell anyone I'm off the hook. Um, I have my baby go through a terrible first year. Like I loved him, but just had postpartum depression, all of it, just really difficult, difficult, difficult first year of motherhood. And then felt the pull to like, want to keep acting, but felt like I couldn't do it the way I had been doing it before. And so my friend had been seeing this hypnotist um, to help her lose weight. And she was like, you know, it's so funny. Every time I go to him, I think, I feel like Jamie should come in here. Even if it's just for you to like have a better mindset about your disease and stuff. And I was like, oh, I'll try it. <clears throat> so I went to him and I remember when I pulled up and I started walking up his driveway, the first thing he said, he goes, why are you looking down? And I was like, mm, I don't know. And he's like, why won't you look at me when you walk up? And then I was like, I don't know. He's like, you know. And I was like, because I don't like to look, have, I don't like to look at people looking at me when I move. Like I always worry either I'm going to make them uncomfortable or I'm being judged or it just feels like I'm being seen. And I realized I just didn't want to be seen, which is crazy because as an actress, right? You think we always want to be seen. So it's like, I have this pull to act, but don't look at me. Like if I could just act in a chair for the rest of my life it would be great because I'm just so afraid of being seen. And so that's what we started to work on. And after three or four sessions, I don't know what happened when I was under hypnosis, but I came home to my husband and I was like, I, I want to tell people that I have a mess. And it, he was like, oh, thank you. Because <laughs> how many years had this been that you 14. Were, wow. Wow. <clears throat> so, and also 14 years of not just holding on to this and dealing with it privately, but actively, as you said, flying all over the world and trying <sighs> like, because once I would assume, especially with the internet, it's a very easy to like, see something else and be like, okay, maybe that'll fix it. Maybe yes, that'll fix it. Everything. And maybe that'll alleviate. And I can't even imagine all the different rabbit holes. Completely. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Hold up. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good. Because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now, I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae, and they are both so <laughs> delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix. My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier 
effortlessly. And we're back. But once you make the decision to announce it, yeah, because it is a huge announcement. Everyone, whether you like it or not, everyone knows who you are. You have a ton of fans and people, um, not just your friends supporting you, but you knew it was going to be a thing. So then how do you go about doing that? Well, it took a little thought. So I, I remember I first called my manager and I was like, hey, cause he knew. Mm. And I was like, Hey, I think that I want to tell people I have MS. And he like, was like, woohoo. He's like, I am proud of you. I can't wait to, for you to see what your life will be like after this. Yes. And I love so, how supportive your crew was. You're, you're like tight completely friends. And also too, I remember feeling like, you know, my son is, my son was two at the time and he understood as far as like, mommy can't run or when we play hockey, mommy has to be goalie and things like that. And he didn't care, but how are we raising our kids? Right. To believe that everyone is deserving of opportunity. Like, mm -hmm. you know, the world is, 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 you know, available for everyone, no matter what, everything that makes you different, makes you beautiful. Like all these lessons we want to teach our kids, like, what am I going to teach my kid then to lie for me? Because for mommy, that's not the case. Yeah. And so <clears throat> at right before I came, decided this, my oldest brother passed away and very suddenly. And I remember for him, his big thing too was like, just come out about it. And he also wanted me to get married because we, we had our baby and weren't married. So after he passed away a couple of months later, my family was really in need of some celebration. Um, so we decided to plan a wedding mm -hmm. and I felt like that was a good time to do it because, you know, like People Magazine was like, oh, we want to cover Jamie's wedding. And I remember calling my publicist, who's also one of my closest friends. And I was like, Gary, you know what? If I'm going to come out about this story, I want it to be around a celebratory time in my life. Because the truth is, my life's okay. Like I have these limitations, but like I'm still living a very full life and I have, I'm getting married and I have a little boy and I want to get back into my career. And so that's how we decided to do it. And so when we, when he called people magazine was like, Hey, Jamie would love for you to cover her wedding, but there's actually something more to it. And so that's how we decided to do it. Wow. Yeah. How did you feel the next day? Oh my God. I was so, <laughs> I was like, I could, I remember, uh, I woke up knew, knowing that I'd come out like in the middle of the night or whatever. And I was looked at cutter and I was like, I, I don't want to look at my phone. Like I'm scared. Because, you know, I had friends from high school that didn't know. You know, it's like there's so many people that didn't know. And um, I remember he like went on Twitter or whatever and he was like, I'm, I've got the kid. I want you to stay in bed and I want you to read and just like give yourself this time to like, like feel love and what you deserve right now. And I just brings tears to my eyes now because I just remember it was like such a vulnerable moment, but like I couldn't believe it. Like just how kind people were and supportive. And I realized like, I kind of found like a new role in my life that I didn't want, but mm. at the same time, like a new purpose, like, mm. wow, I can be a voice for people, um, and possibly help people. It's, it's nice to know that like all of that suffering and everything, you know, wasn't in vain and they can do something with it now. Did you find a new strength and a sense of relief? huge sense of relief. Yeah. Although I'd say I'm still working on 
<clears throat> allowing people to help me. Um, I remember my first few jobs, I, I was like walking back into it of like how I always was. And then I remember like the director was like, Hey, I want you to come down these stairs and this. And normally I would like panic and do it. And I was like, Hmm, that's kind of hard for me. Do you think I can start at the bottom of the stairs? And he was like, Oh, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We can. And I was like, Oh, whoa. Okay. And it is that simple. If you just yes. stick up for yourself. And also like people like helping. Like it makes people feel good to help. I remember feeling like I thought it was going to make me feel weak, but it actually, it just, it is so simple sometimes to work around it. And I've been very fortunate for for people enough that people have worked around it and have allowed me to still work. But what I'm, the most thing I'm working on now is that, um, I like, even when I walk into auditions and stuff, I feel like I would love this role, but like I come with this stuff. You know what? I, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Like I feel like a burden sometimes when I come on a set, and I'm trying to like rewrite that story and not have that energy around me because um, I would like to think that I'm there for my talents and and that well, I'm, you are there for your talents. But like the people aren't doing me a favor by hiring me or like feeling bad for me. That's the main thing that I don't want from this. Like, I don't want people to look at me and like, feel bad for me. I don't want people to feel sympathy. Like I still want you to look at me and be like, she's here and she's doing a great job. Like, I don't want it to be a factor all the time. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I had one director say to me, he was like, cause I voiced this to him a little bit. And he was like, Jamie, everyone has something and this is your thing. And you're being honest about your thing, which makes it easier for me because we can work around it. And so I try and repeat that to myself all the time because the truth is I've gone back and forth with quitting acting just, and it only be, is because of my MS and actually want to stop saying my MS too. I'm like the MS. Yeah. Um, uh, but the truth is like every time I quit, there's like a gravitational pull. And like I, right after I had my second baby, I did take about a year and a half off and I went back into acting class just to make sure it was still something I loved because I wanted, it was like off the hamster wheel of like this business and the, all of that. And just being like, wait a minute, if this is, if this is going to be worth my time and my energy and my emotions and the, all the sacrifice that comes after being a mom and all of that, like, I need to make sure that I really love this. And I went into a class with a new teacher, people I didn't know, like a very scary thing, Absolutely. right? And I love it. Like I've been in class for almost a year and it's my favorite two nights of the week. It's just for me. And it just made me realize, and it's look, I, I have, st I mean, it's more quiet for sure. I think that no one would ever admit that they don't want to hire me because of this, but people are skeptical. And for me, I'm like, I've been stable for nine years. So I would never put myself out there if I felt like one day I would wake up and couldn't do this job. Like I'm very confident that I can do a good job and I'm just kind of doing my work and being ready for when somebody's, you know, willing to give me a shot. Also, you should never quit your art because your art, it will always be a part of the release of your everyday life mm, and beautiful. going through this and, and whether it's MS or Lyme disease or even just like motherhood yeah. and just the stress of your life, that is something that will be a release for you. So you totally. should never, ever stop that. Well, that's almost how I feel. It's like, at least I, my class twice, like twice a week is like that for me right yeah. now. It's like, even if I'm not working, like that's, that's 
my release. And That's, it's an, it's part of your identity and who yes, you are. And yes. you are that, I, I mean, I'm telling you right now, you, that will never stop you. You can tell, you can already tell with you here. Yeah. Thanks. I think it's interesting in, our, in your twenties, you think you're doing everything for yourself, but looking back, a lot of it is so reliant on you're just the purpose of what you're doing is for other people or to mm-hmm. get the next job or to please this or appease that. And then you find yourself in your thirties, especially women who are just naturally, you know, gravitate towards being people pleasers. And you really start to think about like, what do I do to service myself? What do I do to make myself feel good? That's not for anybody else Mm. that doesn't benefit anybody else except like my soul and what I need. And I did not expect that shift. And I feel like that's been in so many of the conversations we've had lately, it's about these like life pivots or it's about this. I just needed something for myself that belonged to me. And so the fact that you have those two nights a week is is the best. I totally get that. And it's so funny because I feel like that's like so specific to your thirties too. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because we're all kind of like in that phase. I think life is more demanding of you in the phase that we're in. And so to also kind of wrap your brain around the idea that it's not selfish to want to have a class for yourself. Right. You know, because at some point you're like, well, I have kids. I have this. There's so many other things I could be doing. Maybe I should just do that. But you will be a better person if you give yourself those moments. Yes. To then. Yeah. Life is a lot. But also, too, I run into the thing where my friends are like, because we were talking earlier about how like I pay my I pay for a full time nanny for when I get a job, even Mm -hmm. though I'm like feel like I'm around a lot of the time. And my friends will be like, go out, come out with us. And I'm like, what makes me feel good is being with my kids and being home. And it, I, I mean, I make my time for my girlfriends, but like, I also don't ha- have to feel bad that like, that's their way of feeling good. And that's for them. But like, what I do for me is my class and then being with my kids. And I like scheduling my massages for 7.30 and 8 p.m., Sure, it would be good to do it in the middle of the day, but like that's when I choose to do it because I like to do bedtime, like things like mm-hmm. that. And so you do come to like learn what makes you feel good and what makes you feel like proud. And I that's how I choose to do it. And I I went through a little bit of like feeling bad, like I wasn't doing it like everybody else. I think this whole like self-care talk sometimes can get like overwhelming that we're not doing enough of it. But I think there's a million versions of it that you find like work for you. Yeah. It's, I know funny enough, I actually just trying to get better about waking up earlier and feeling good in the morning. So, and I realized that I wanted to get back into therapy sessions, but it can take up like, it's like, I don't want to do that in the middle of the afternoon. Yeah. I don't want to do that at night and miss like picking up the kids right. or trying to get dinner. Or, you know, life gets busy. So I had it at 8am this morning. I had oh. a bride in Ireland. I was like, okay, this is What a is way to new. start your day. Very interesting way to start the day, but I kind of like it. And it's like, for anyone that says you can't do it all, it's like, well, no, you can't. But then if you want to try, it just, you can, it's just, you kind of have to shift things around. You can still do the things you like to do. It's just not on the same schedule you were used to without a partner and kids and family. Right. That's one thing that's changed for me since having a baby is I realize how much you can get done in a day because, you know, right now she wakes up at like three 30 in the morning and I go back to bed after that. But I'm like, wow, if I stayed up right now, (laughs) I could do so many things. I don't know if I do it that well, though. <laughs> I could conquer the world. You could. You could. Um, well, you've been very busy through all this as well. You've got your Mama Said podcast. Yes. You also have Pajama 
I keep wanting to call it pajama pants. That's like but how is we it joke pajama is, party. Well, some of us say pajama pants. Some of us say pajama pants because we're from <laughs> okay. New York. So it's pajama pants. Perfect. You're correct. Okay, yes. perfect. And that's on YouTube as well as a podcast. Yes. Yes. And then Mama said it is a podcast that can be found anywhere. Podcasts. You get your podcast. Yep. You Love know it. it. What, wanted, what made you want to start podcasting? Well, so with Mama said... Um, like I touched on before that like the first year with my first son was difficult. And I think a lot of it too had to do with like the climate now is so nice. Like people are so willing to talk about motherhood and all the colors of it and the hard parts and the happy parts and and the whole experience. Right. But before it was like, no, you only said that it was great and that you loved your baby and that everything was okay. And so I, because I didn't talk about what I was experiencing, I just assumed I was a bad mom and the second time around, after knowing better and realizing when I was pregnant with my second one, my friend Jenna was pregnant with hers as well. And we kind of just kind of were back and forth and being and like, as we got closer to getting more candid and honest and our text messages were hilarious all through it all. And I remember she texted me one day and she's like, I went back through our conversation. I was like, this should be a coffee table book. And I was like, maybe it should be a podcast. And we know we're not reinventing the wheel here with like a mothering podcast, but at the same time, Jenna and I are two very different types of moms. We are like, she's, you know, or she'd be all organic wooden toy. And I'm like, lick the floor. It's fine. You know, (laughs) but we have no judgment towards each other. We, I appreciate things about her. She appreciates things about me and we can just be super honest and have fun with each other. So that's where mama said came from. I wasn't even a podcast person in the sense, like I didn't listen to podcasts before. And now all I do is listen to podcasts. I don't even listen to music in my car anymore. It's interesting because you said, especially when you were younger, that it was always putting a smile on and not talking about things and not talking about things and just collecting it emotionally. And then here you are, since you've, you know, shared with the world what you've been experiencing and about your, or about the MS, just that now you're now talking about motherhood and you're just like an open book. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like I talk too much. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like I put way too much out there, but it's, it feels good because it, you know, I think, like we, I just realized like we're all here doing the best we can. We're all here in this one lifetime, like having a human experience and, 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 and doing our best together. And like, I, I'm not embarrassed by anything. I'm not ashamed of anything. We're, we're, it's, it feels so much better to communicate and have community from being honest and vulnerable. And I found there's a lot of strength and power from being vulnerable. Well, and I know there are a lot of women too, who can relate to everything that you've been through. And so it's so nice to have a voice Yeah, because others that maybe have been diagnosed with MS or Lyme's disease or even struggle with motherhood. There's so, all of that is a lot. And so to have a voice is really nice. And the one thing that I, I ran into recently though, that also then the lesson from it became empowering was that like, I, I shared, I was doing some interview or something and I was sharing something and I don't know what I said where I was like, I'm not going to feel bad for myself. Like I have every excuse to stay in bed, you know, and say, I I don't want to do anything, but like, I don't, I choose to push through and get up because that's my personality, but also because I just, I'm a fighter and I got like hit with like a, bunch of like messages and people with MS being like, what if you don't have a choice about getting out of bed and how dare you say this Mm. and this? And I was like, at first I felt terrible. And I was like, oh my God, I did not mean to hurt anyone's feelings. But then I was like, you know what? This is my story to share. Just, I can't, I can't bear the responsibility of representing 
everyone and their versions of the story. I can only speak honestly about mine and how I approach my life. That being said, like I, I would love to still bring awareness to the disease and I'm a face of it, but like, I can't feel like I have to represent every single version and every single story. And it, it was an empowering moment because like I said, normally I would be like completely bogged down and devastated and like responding to everyone being like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I am sorry if I did feel like anyone felt offended or misrepresented, but my only job is to represent myself and my family as well as I can. Mm-hmm. Well, and MS looks different for so many people. Of course. Right. So any disease looks yeah, different any, for yeah, people. Yeah. yeah. So it's a completely different experience. Yeah. Um, I know you've talked a little bit about having, just from reading interviews you've done about having good days and bad days. Mm-hmm. Uh, what What do those look like? Sure. Well, good days, bad days is more emotional for okay. me. Um, the symptoms are pretty much the same, but the things that I deal with most is like, um, spasticity. So from going from sitting to standing, especially if I'm in one position for a longer time, I almost feel like an electric, like when I'll get up, it's like an electric shock goes through my body and I'm super tight and it takes me like a minute to kind of get my body moving. So like when I'm at restaurants with friends or like when I get up from sitting here with you guys, like I'll always get up when the bill comes and kind of like move around so people don't have to wait for me. And there's, it's annoying that I have to do that. And sometimes I can even be a little embarrassed, but it's just the way I have to do things um, to live an independent life. You know, even when we went on that bus trip together, my, one of my closest friends, Minka is with me and she just knows that like when I got off the bus, like she'll just grab my arm to help me until I can like, you know, get my body back. Um, yeah, when, we went down to the, to Tijuana with, yes. this is about humanity, uh, an organization we've talked about on this podcast before, and it's a long day. It's, it is. You go all around the city to, um, shelters and visit with people and play with kids and you were incredible. It was actually Aww. the first time we'd really properly met yes. and I did not know this about you. I did not know anything. So yeah. I, all I remember, I was just complaining and yabbering away, <laughs> you know, about like my own trials and tribulations and, and just, but, uh, but it was a beautiful day. And, it was, and, it yeah, was a beautiful the day. The fact that you, you did that. Yeah. And I, and I love that I can still do that. My, for the first symptom I ever got, which is something I don't deal with as much anymore. Although even after two kids, it's harder was, and it was a terrible one to have in your early twenties was bladder incontinence. So it's, it's kind of like the common denominator amongst women with MS is you literally can't hold your bladder. So if I tell you in my 20s when I'm dating and like having to wear Depends a lot of the time, like it sucked. It really, really, really sucked. Um, But through like medication and like physical therapy, I've been able to get a hold of it. But, you know, on at work, on sets and things like that, like it's been an issue. And I've had like, quote unquote, I'll call them like accidents and they're incredibly embarrassing. And when you feel your body betray you like that and you feel like you're like an old woman and like a 27 year old body, it sucks. But, and I remember feeling like with dating, if it would be, it would be really affecting. And I can tell you, I mean, I've dated a lot of different types of guys and they've all, like not one of them ever made me feel bad about it. Way to go, men. Yeah. Way to go. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like it's what, one thing that I've really learned through all of this is just like the love and compassion that just the human race can have for people, you know, like even guys that I, you would assume are like a total asshole, just so awesome and wonderful. And it, it's, it was a nice lesson to get along with the struggle, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And then I can't run. I haven't been able to run since I'm 26. I'm 38 now. And that sucks. It's like the one thing, like when I meditate or like I fantasize, like just that freedom. And that's something that comes into play with parenting. Like I have to, if I take my kids to a park, uh, especially with the older one, not so much, but like the little one, it has to be gated so that I can just relax and know that if he runs off, which he's a bolter, um, that he'll be safe. Yeah. Um, things like that, that, or, you know, there's times, especially when my youngest, when I started to have a nanny, I didn't have a nanny till he was three. Um, like he wanted to go on a beach trip with his friends and like that type of day is hard for me. Heat is, um, affects people with MS, like being in direct heat for too long. Like your legs just start re- feel really heavy and you get really weak. And so I had to send him off with his nanny that day and that sucked. And like, mm. I would have loved to been have been there, but I don't want to have him miss out on opportunity because of me. Like I, I never wanted my MS to slow my kids down. And um, I used to really worry about that. But at the same time, my older one has shown such beautiful signs of like getting lessons in like compassion and awareness. Like when I... Like I told you, I get like stiff from sitting. So when I would drive him to nursery school, our drive was like 20 minutes and we're in the carpool and I would get out and kind of move around and I would go to get him out of his car seat to walk in. And I remember one time a car was coming. He goes, can you wait? My mommy's slow. And like grabbed my hand. <sighs> How old like, was he when he did this? Four. Oh, oh my God. I know. And him and I just went on a trip, just the two of us to Dominican Republic, like just us which was like a huge thing for me to go on this beach vacation just with him, held my hand up and down the beach and took breaks with me if I needed, like did puzzles on the lounge chair when after we swam a lot because I was like, mommy needs a break before we move on to the next activity. And it was just, it felt so good that I could do that and like have that time with my son, but also that he was like so wonderful and helpful. And that's why we talk about our kids all the time. That's the best thing ever. (laughs) How did you tell him that you, now he knows you're slow. He knows that you need extra time. Does he know that it is called MS and that it is? Now he does. I mean, I think it's just like come up slowly over conversations and went or like, he'll be like, why is mommy having to go to the doctor again? Or why do we have to go to New York for mommy's doctor? Things like that. And in, in those times I'll be like, well, mommy has something called MS. And I'll be like, is that why your legs don't work good? And I was like, yes. And like, every time I go to the doctor, he's like, is he fixing you now? <laughs> I'm like, I hope so. That's what we're working on. So it's, it's sweet. The little one, the little one doesn't really know much about anything still, anything beyond garbage trucks and yes. like blippy. Yeah. So <laughs> do you find that it's changed the conversation you've had with friends? Like, do you find that friends all of a sudden start to realize like, oh, maybe I shouldn't complain about my body or maybe no. I shouldn't complain about that, this? I don't want, I never want my friends to feel that way. Like I hate when they're like, oh, I shouldn't even complain to you. I'm like, no, please, please do not do that. But you know what? Something really special for my 37th birthday, um, I came home from like going to dinner with my husband and our son, the baby was like sleeping with at home. And, um, I got into my backyard and all my best friends were there and sitting on like blankets with like candles and snacks. And I just thought it was so sweet. I thought they were just like coming to like have a drink for my birthday. And my friend Ryan, who is, um, like a spiritual coach and he's one of my best friends and just like an all around incredible human was going to lead like a meditation for like everyone's intention for me for my birthday. And what it ended up turning into very naturally was everyone went around in a circle saying what I meant to them. 
And it was the most profound moment of my life because what they all kept saying was like, we wish you could see yourself the way we see you. Like my friend Nikki was like, who's like a big partier. She's like, she invites me to Coachella every year. And every year I say no, cause I don't want to slow them down. It's the only reason I say no, it's not cause I don't want to go. It's just like, I don't want to, I don't want to break up your guys's fun. And I truly mean that. And she was like, Jamie, it would be a privilege to carry you on my back that whole fucking weekend. Like just to have my friends take that moment for me and say all that was just truly one of the best moments of my life. And, you know, I, I wish everyone could get that at one point in their life because we, it's not just because I have a mess that I deserve it. We all do, you know, to be able to see ourselves through the people that loves us eyes was really incredible. So my friends, Yes. Like sometimes we'll say like, I hate complaining, but I really, really make it known. Like we are all going through shit. We all have stuff like, please treat me as normal and regular because I am like my MS, it doesn't define me and it's not everything, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it has nothing to do with my relationships, you know? You have done such a good job proving that and showing that because even just after this conversation, it's so inspiring to see how, yes, it has affected your life, but you have, you have taken control of it. You haven't let it take control of you. Yeah. It's been a process for sure. I'm sure. But I have, I have a piece of paper taped on my bathroom mirror that my husband just wrote in a notepad one day, just wrote your story isn't over yet. And it's just what I always look at for all of us, because it's true. I mean, look, there's days where it just feels like is this it? Is this it? Is this it? And it's true. I mean, you know, I have a lot of life ahead. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Who knows? Well, I was going to ask if there was something like a quote or something that you thought of every day. So you just kind of answered it. And we've cried, I think, three or four times. (laughs) This is is only an audio podcast, (laughs) but we are all in tears because your story is really inspiring. And you, uh, I can't think of a better person to be an advocate. So, That's so nice. Thank and you. Thanks and for sharing it. Yeah. Oh, just especially too. it was, it's so lovely to hear about, um, just also how you grew up, how your family grew up and, and also be able to relate to kind of keeping so many things down, obviously in a different way, Yeah. but then, um, the, what beauty can grow from being willing, willing to share your vulnerabilities and share your truth and what's going on. Well, isn't that what the service that we do really as actresses and actors is we show like stories and humans so that other people that are watching it can feel seen and feel like feel things like, you know, we, we, we make people laugh. We make people cry. We make people feel joy. We make people experience things. Like all we're doing is representing humans and that's, that's what we do. So why shouldn't we do that in our real lives too? It's such a liberating thing. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Where can our listeners find you? Obviously they can find Mama Said Podcast wherever they listen to podcasts and Pajama Pants. Yes. Um, But where can they find you on social media? Um, Instagram's Jamie Lynn Sigler. And then Twitter is um, Jamie L. Sigler. Although I never go on Twitter. So you don't have to follow me on Twitter (laughs) because you'll never see me tweet. (laughs) Unless it's like a retweet of like some cute animal video. But you'll find that from someone else. (laughs) Well, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I didn't want Jamie to leave. I just want to hang out with her and be inspired by her. She's such a phenomenal woman. And we were talking about how we'd all known so many of the same people for years, but haven't actually been able to sit down together and meet each other until today. So it was so lovely to finally 
be able to just get to know Jamie and, and I'm just so appreciative of her willingness to share her story. Um, especially for any of our listeners who are dealing with a chronic illness or have questions or, or do relate to Jamie's story because they have MS or they have Lyme disease or someone in their family does, because that's the thing too, when you family members or someone you love has it, it, it affects everyone. And I think she is such a testament to letting the disease, um, not letting the disease define her and acknowledging it and knowing that it's there, but staying true to who she is. And being okay with where she's at now, continuing to accept herself and, and fall in love with herself more and more. And even at that moment when she said, I, I'm reminding myself, I want to call it the disease, not my disease. It's the disease. And I just... I, that affected me. I was like, wow, that's, yeah, that self-awareness that she has. And, you know, we always talk about like wanting to get things figured out in our thirties, but it's true. It's so, it's so true. All of a sudden you realize you're in your thirties and you think like that you've dealt with all these things. And then you like open the, open this like closet in your brain or in your soul. And you're like, oh my God, shoot, I've been an emotional hoarder. And I, there's so many things that I actually need to deal with now. And that I thought that I've dealt with in the past and maybe I haven't. And her ability to to share what she's still continuing to work on, I think that is um, just as inspiring as, as everything else she was willing to discuss with us today. Yeah, it's such a process. You can see her, you know, going through the process in person and figuring out like her new role as this MS activist. And um, I think on a smaller scale, that's what we're doing every day as well is trying to figure out our new role in, in our thirties. And for me as a mama. And so I really relate to watching her kind of, um, you know, go through that. And I just think she's such a beautiful soul and I'm so proud and honored to have her here and to have her be the kind of person that sticks up for, um, and is a voice for those who are going through that. And we're so grateful you guys joined us and listened to this episode of Directionally Challenged. And um, we hope you learned a lot. I know we did. I, and um, join us next week for another awesome episode. We'll see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.